Okay, our scripture reading today comes from Luke 4, verses 14 through 21. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Monica, for that beautiful reading of our scripture today. Would you pray with me? Creator God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And though I make mistakes and my words may falter, I pray that you find a way to use my failures anyways. Amen. You know, I'll tell you honestly, it's been a tough week in our house. Neither Steve nor Sandy are surprised by this, but it is truly amazing what one teething toddler can do to your sleep schedule. It's safe to say that Jordan and I are moving a little slower these days, and we all know the wonders that sleep deprivation does for your critical thinking skills. This week alone, I have failed a lot. <laughs> I have failed to keep my mind together, to keep up with my tasks and my lists. I have failed to remember basic information. I'll give you some examples. This week, I forgot my own birthday. I remembered it was in summer, couldn't tell you when. Uh, I, rem I, I forgot both of my daughter's names and called them both by the dog's name at some point. <laughs> And I forgot a recipe that I've made a dozen times and haven't looked at since the first time I made it. Actually, this sermon could be added to the list, but you'll have to tell me after. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, though, it's been a hard week to remember the words of Sandy's sermon last week, to love myself. That could be a self-esteem issue or a memory issue. Maybe I am just forgetting to love myself, but either way, I'm gonna need a nap to figure it out. <laughs> Whatever the reason, I haven't been feeling particularly happy with myself this week. And whenever I start to feel bad about myself, I do like to remember this story from scripture. Now, I know it sounded like an absolute win. There wasn't a failure in that scripture that Monica read for us a few moments ago, but, just you wait. <laughs> Things are about to get hairy for Jesus. And if I'm doing the math correctly, it results in Jesus getting his second set of death threats. The first was King Herod's little plot with the wise men. I count that as his first set. I believe that what he does today results in his second. So 
Let me lay some groundwork for you so you know what's happening and where we are in Luke's depiction of Jesus's life. We're coming up to the end of a three-part story building up to Jesus's big up at the podium launch of his ministry. Last week we heard about his baptism, which felt like his entrance into the public. What I always notice about Luke's version of this story is that all Jesus has to do is show up. He doesn't have a single line of dialogue in the whole story, and even the actual baptism, according to Luke, is really just a story of Jesus standing in line, waiting to receive a blessing. After he's baptized, that's when the magic happens. The Holy Spirit shows up like a dove and carries in the air with it a message. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Affirmations from heaven just for standing in line and accepting a blessing. It's a really good start to Jesus's ministry, especially when we consider what happens next. For Jesus, that's 40 days in the wilderness. According to our scripture, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit, standing in solidarity with Christ, enters the wilderness to wrestle with the devil and his own fears, just at the beginning of his public ministry. And when Jesus leaves the wilderness, we are told that he leaves a different man than he came. He comes out of the wilderness wrapped in power, not a power that he earned, but a power that was given. Our text tells us that it is the power of the Holy Spirit granting him strength. And with that power and strength wrapped around him, Jesus enters his hometown. And in my mind, this plays kind of like those high school movies, uh, the plot line where the nerd goes away to camp or they get a makeover and then bam, they come back as a different, more attractive and cooler than everyone else version of themselves. We've reached that pinnacle moment with our main character, Jesus, and he has his big debut coming up. And you get to see him as the new, cooler him. Imagine coming home to your hometown wrapped in the Holy Spirit. That'd be something. And there he is in his pinnacle peak moment, surrounded by his community, reading from Isaiah. And it is a beautiful text at the heart of the children of Israel. Through that text, Christ affirms his anointment by the Holy Spirit to proclaim good news to the captive, the blind, the oppressed, and the poor. He claims those words as the baseline for his ministry the point from which all else will come. I imagine that as he's reading the words of Isaiah, there is dramatic background music playing, and as he puts down the scroll, he says to his neighbors, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And if that ain't a mic drop moment, I don't know what is. If only those were Jesus's last words on the matter. Unfortunately, they were not. Instead, our Lord and Savior kind of, well, I'm going to put it as politely as I can. 
Jesus loses his audience. <laughs> to put a less fine point on it, he manages to offend every person in that room in the span of five minutes or less. And that is directly after our scripture today. Jesus has his congregation in the palm of his hand and promptly loses them. He follows up his dramatic, the scripture has been filled today with a, but not for you, and especially not for you today. Which, when we look at the history of the prophets in the Judaic tradition, he is correct. There is a story of hometowns being critical of their prophetic children, but I'm going to say it, did you have to make such a point of it? Imagine that you're sitting in the room and you hear this amazing, emphatic promise only to be told, yeah, but for everyone except you. Mm. Imagine praying for healing or a miracle only to be shut down in the coldest way possible. It's an aggressive move, to be sure. And his words would prove to be prophetic since Jesus would fail to take hold as a savior in his hometown, at least during this trip. And to be clear, this level of failure that we're talking about, it wasn't an angry note home to his mother. Remember, I said death threats. Chapter 4, verse 29 tells us that they were literally preparing to throw Jesus off of a cliff. Literally in scripture. And I think if anything says you might have failed in that moment, it's somebody planning to throw you off a cliff. And I know you're thinking, this is a strange point for you, a pastor, to be making, <laughs> that our Lord and Savior failed. Now, before you accuse me of sacrilege, please remember that Jesus was not just fully divine. Jesus was also fully human. And if failure isn't a core piece of the human experience and how we live in the world, I don't know what is. But that's the thing about being fully human and fully divine. Jesus, in his life, experienced it all. And while some traditions choose to exalt the divine nature of Christ over everything else, I think it actually takes away. I think it takes away from the beauty of what Jesus Christ did. Jesus didn't just inhabit a flesh suit as a bit of camouflage for a minute. Jesus was a human being. Jesus got bug bites. Jesus got scabs and scrapes. Jesus mouthed off to his mother and irritated his friends. And definitely, definitely failed. And in that failure was holy every step of the way. This in and of itself is the good news that Jesus was preaching about in the temple. That news for all of us who are in one way or another, blind, captive, poor, or oppressed. That freedom and recovery that Jesus promises through the words of Isaiah is ours for the taking right now, should we choose to accept them. But what makes it even more powerful is it's not just good news for us. Because in becoming human, Christ's own message became good news for him too. 
By God's plan or twist of fate, he was born a poor boy in an oppressed and colonized nation. In every way imaginable, imaginable, Christ has chosen our human lives to make holy, our everyday lives. So if Christ is our example, then I want you to consider failure as a holy task. Maybe because it requires us to acknowledge that we fall short, that we need connection or vulnerability or just someone there to hold our hand. And I think that might be where God lives, in the spaces in between us, when we call on each other, when we need something outside of ourselves. This final story of Jesus' failure is really just illustrating the point of the first two stories, of his baptism and wilderness wandering. All of them show that Jesus needed He was indeed fully human, because when Jesus needed, the Holy Spirit came to his aid every time. The Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of God, showed up in solidarity, in love, in affirmation. And if it showed up for Christ, I'm going to imagine it's showing up for you too. When we are met with failure, Let us remember that the Holy Spirit does show up for us in solidarity, in love, in affirmation. This is the grace of God so freely given. This love, it's there for us, not on the other side of our failures, but smack dab in the middle of them. When we make mistakes, we have the power and the responsibility to respond with love and affirmation and solidarity. To be clear, I am not asking you at any point to blind yourself to the reality of the situation you face. Failures have real life consequences no matter who's doing the failing. But I'm gonna ask you to embrace a little bit of Matthew 10:16 and be as wise as serpent and as harmless as doves. Be discerning of the failures within you and around you. What I'm asking you is not to forget that you failed or gloss over your failures, but instead, I ask that you allow your faith to lead how your heart handles failure. In the midst of our failure, we are liable to succumb to the noise of self-doubt and self-deprecation. But we can accept the affirmation that while we fail, we are still beloved and holy children of God. In the middle of our personal disasters, we can lose our sense of direction and self, or we can stand in solidarity. We can acknowledge who we are and who we want to be without taking away from our present worth. In the moment of pain, when we feel most hurt and alone, we can bury ourselves. Or we can reach out in love and seek to learn a better way. 
I am going to give you homework this week because this is not an easy task, and I know it. But your homework is twofold, so I'm going to need you to pay attention. First, when you see failure this week, and I guarantee that you will, I want you to show up like the Holy Spirit shows up with love and solidarity and affirmation. I'm not asking you to be blind. I'm not asking you to accept the unacceptable. But I am asking you this week to try defaulting to grace and see what that does in your life. And the second and much harder task is for when you fail this week, which I can also guarantee will happen at some point, I ask that you allow yourself to be met with the same grace. It is your holy privilege. And I pray that you take it. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen. <laughs>